0: Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Please take a second to subscribe on iTunes, and for future episode information and additional content, head over to herdpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at herd podcast. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to H.E.R.D., your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. We're thrilled you're listening. Don't forget to subscribe to H.E.R.D. through your Apple podcast app, iTunes, or however you get your podcasts. If you want to go one step further, write a review and let us know what you think. I'd like to take a moment to thank everyone who came out to the Sugar House last week, hung out with us, drank some punch, navigated technical difficulties, and showed your support. We're incredibly appreciative and look forward to throwing more parties in the future that will hopefully go much smoother. I'm Joe Hakeem. And I'm hosting tonight's episode on my own, but I do have a special guest with me who is known to most as the Wine Counselor. He's a sommelier who is very active in wine education of consumers and tourists. Michael Schaefer, thanks for being here.
1: My pleasure, Joe.
0: So, Michael, let's start with the name, Wine Counselor. Uh, Do you counsel people on wine or why the name?
1: Well, yeah, I I do. I counsel on wine and spirits and food and all things that are kind of fun. But the name really comes from the fact that uh, for most of my career I was a practicing attorney. And I still am an attorney for that matter. always will be. Uh, some people might like that. Some people may not. But the counselor comes from being an attorney and counselor. And my passion is wine, spirits, food, travel. And so a few years ago, uh, some folks, some all two of my friends said to me, hey, you know, well, you should do something. You should become a consultant. You should do this. Use your time wisely and, and and have fun with people. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. And then at one point, my uh, my beautiful bride uh, looked at me and said, so you're really not getting any younger. And as a result of that, the wine counselor came into being and I've been having a blast ever since.
0: So the uh, did the Sommelier training come later later on too? Did this all like, it, kind of fall into place? It, it, it
1: did. It kind of fell into place. Uh, I, I am a Som. I'm also a certified specialist of wine as well. And... Uh, I was, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to do a bunch of traveling and visit a bunch of um, locations, Australia, Germany, France, around the world where wine is produced. Uh, And so I just, I intensified my studies, got a a lot more focus on it before taking the exams.
0: So were you traveling for wine before your interest, was it like a horse before the cart kind of thing or like
1: Kind of, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I just as as a tourist, I mean, I, I love I love travel. When you when you go places, when you travel, as you have, when you go around the world, people are basically the same <laughs> everywhere. They all they all want something good to eat, they want something good to drink, and they want to hang out with people that they like. And so, as a result of that, I got more focused uh, on what I wanted to do and decided to put together a business plan. And get the show on the road, and basically, it's my encore career. I
0: shifted gears from the practice of law to being the wine counselor. So the uh, your tagline: um, "I taste bad wine, so you don't have to." Yeah. All right. So you say people want something; they want something good to eat, something good to drink, good people to hang out with. the The bad bad wine can ruin a day, a night, a meal, right? Yeah. Um, so, what is, in your opinion, like what is a bad wine? Not, well, not, not. And I don't want. To, I want to be specific. I don't want you to call someone out. I just want you to like kind of give me an idea of what.
1: No, no, no. A, a, a bad wine, um, in in the simplest way, a bad wine is one that you don't like. But at the same time, um, for instance, people will say to me, "Oh, you know, that's a bunch of fill in the blank." Okay, I don't know the difference. I can't tell the difference between a five dollar bottle and a fifty dollar bottle. My response is. Ah, I beg to differ. I think you can. You may prefer the five dollar bottle more than the fifty. That's cool. That's great. But you can still tell the difference, unless you're you know blind drunk. Then maybe you can't, which isn't such a good, good thing anyway. Right. But in terms of bad wine, is wine that is out that is out of balance. Wine and wine and food is similar to the yin in the yang of the uh, ancient Taoist uh, principles. So it, it needs to be in balance. We need to be in balance with our yin and our yang and om, I'm not going to start meditating, <laughs> but um, um, with with our food, uh, with our drink, with our work, with our, our social life. So it's, it's the same thing with wine. It needs to be balanced. If it's really alcoholic and you taste the alcohol right away, that's not good. If it smells... Like um, Clorox, not such a good thing. It doesn't. You don't want it to smell chemically. Okay, when I say chemical, or if it smells like uh, maybe shoe polish, that's not really a good thing. It should smell
0: natural. So, what? Why would wine smell like Clorox or shoe polish? Because of.
1: A variety of things, primarily the way that it's made, the way that it's produced. Uh, something went wrong. They had very poor grapes to start out with. You can also have other fruits for that matter because not all wine is grapes. Most of it is. But it's a variety of different things. You could have gotten a, an infection in terms of into in the grapes. You could have a not-so-clean winery or processing facility. There's a host of reasons why that could happen. And that's really what bad wine is. For, for our purposes, fortunately, there's much less bad wine being made today. I mean, if you're not making a good bottle of wine today, with the technology that's available around the world, I mean, you're you're really you're really screwing up. So,
0: well, so is is this idea of bad wine? There, I mean, bad wines are good wines to some people, right? And, and there's yeah. some so, but but your job uh, is kind of to guide people. Yeah. Towards the path of better wine, yes, yeah. yes. So, um, I, I was going to do a, a little, uh, t- you know, uh, taste test with um, what I would—I don't know what a bad wine is necessarily—but I went into CVS to see what they had on the shelf, right? And um, a lot. What I noticed was that I used to work for Trader Joe's many years ago, and many of the wines that we sold at Trader Joe's are now available at CVS. How do you kind of explain that uh, that shift from uh, Trader Joe's being a kind of specialty grocery store to wines such as, like, uh, I noticed like an Estancia uh, Pinot Noir on the shelf or a uh, um, Mondavi or a Mark West or something like that on the shelf at CVS. How do you explain that shift as to why CVS is carrying those wines now?
1: Because more and more people are drinking wine, Joe. Um, th- I mean, wine consumption around the world... Is at its peak. It's actually down in Europe uh, a little bit. Uh, the Europeans, especially younger folks, are are drinking more booze. Um, but around the world, particularly in Asia, oh my goodness, uh, it's it's just it's it's crazy. In the United States, more people are enjoying wine than ever before. So as a result of that, the producers of it, whether you're a huge winery. Or whether you're a boutique winery, you want to get out into the marketing mix as much as you possibly can. So I'm going to guess it was probably 10-plus years ago that when you were at Trader Joe's. About or, that, yep. yeah. Okay, yep. i just going to take a guess. Yeah. Um, so not as many people were enjoying wine then as are now. And, of course, you had the famous two-buck chuck. Uh, that was there that I have it's now it's no longer two bucks um, but it's still some of them are some of the two bucks trucks are okay some of them are mm, I don't know we could maybe have a marinade um, but we <laughs> wouldn't want to do too much more than that but the it, it, people they want choice I mean compare compare it to food thirty years ago you went out if you went out to eat you went to a restaurant okay you didn't you you, you for the most part you didn't pull into a gas station. Fill up and get a sandwich, whether it's a Subway, whether it's a falafel, uh, no matter what it is, you, you just you didn't have that available. Uh, with wine, it, people want it everywhere, so getting into that distribution, those channels, is important to everybody that is making wine. Now, if you're only making a few hundred cases, you don't really care about that, but and again, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because more and more people are drinking wine. Most people start out at a lower price point, and then go up to more expensive. And if it's more expensive, it, gosh darn well, better be a better wine. And people go up. Most people start out with the sweeter style of wines and then go to drier style. So now,
0: go, go through that. What is that? So sweeter style, start. you start where usually?
1: Well, well um, you, you, can, you can start anywhere. Uh, let's say if we use, uh, if we use white wines as an example, maybe people start out with, the, the dreaded white zin, ooh, oh, no one wants to be seen drinking white zinfandel. Well, you know, okay, fine, you don't want to drink white zin, and and I'll come back to your. But I just want to diver, d- diverge for a minute about rosés. It's the middle of summer; rosés are on fire. You, Psalms, restaurants—you can't get—they can't stock them enough. Everybody wants to drink rosé now because it's kind of hip. It's kind of cool. Again, I'll go back. It's also
0: delicious. Well,
1: of course it is, and it goes with everything. <laughs> yeah, it goes with everything or with nothing. And there's so many different styles. A few years ago, even ten years ago, but let's say twenty years ago, I got a couple years on you. Uh, I was I was working uh, relatively. People wouldn't wouldn't drink rose because they they didn't know about it. But white Zin was an accident at a particular winery. It was it was a fermenting accident. The guy said, "Oh, I don't care. I'm just going. I'm going to bottle it and see what happened." Well, White Zinfandel did so much to popularize wine in the United States. I mean, if someone wants to drink White Zin, hey. Go for it. It's great. It's sweet. It's juicy. People started there, and then they've progressed, and they've gone. There's a lot of people now that are, yeah, I I like a really big, bad Cabernet Sauvignon, you know. I want a a big wine with long legs just like I like my women. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I an alpha male? Um, That is – a lot of those guys got to start with white it's so it's okay. But most people start out sweet and move to dry. Um, not everyone does, and I have people that will come up and talk to me and they'll say it's 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 apologetic, it's like, uh, you know, I, I, I like sweet wine, huh? I'm sorry. I'm like, well, there's nothing to be sorry about. You like sweet wine, fine. It's, it's some of the best wines in the world are sweet, ports are sweet, Sauternes are. Are sweet Riesling can be sweet, but ladies and gentlemen, it does not need to be sweet. Riesling is one of the most flexible, misunderstood, malign grapes on the planet. That was a little editorialized. <laughs> <laughs> so, I,
0: I think there's this kind of uh, kind of pushback from the wine community about the word sweet, right? Like they they want to use the word fruity. Like sweet is kind of like a almost like a curse word. Uh, you know, when it's in regard to like wines like know, Moscato or something like that that are kind of regarded as less than sometimes.
1: Well, and it's just it's part of it. Part of it is is that sweet wine has what's called RS in it. As you know, what's left is residual sugar. That's what RS stands for. Dry rinds, wines, excuse me, dry rind wines have all of the sugar fermented out of them. So, it's all gone. That's why they're dry. So, it's in a way it's kind of easier to make uh, not so good sweet wine, but again, it depends on what it is. If you're enjoying, if you like spicy foods, as I know that you do, I do, I and do. you like some like foods that just tear your face
0: off. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, the the best wines to go with those foods are wines that are going to have a little bit of sweetness. Heat likes sweet in terms of food and wine pairing. So that that really spicy Thai dish or the Hunan-style Chinese food, that is going to go better with a wine that does have a little bit of sweetness to it rather than something that's going to be big, bad, bold, and tannic because that, that that's not a good mix because then you've got all that heat from the spices with that tannin, and they kind of cancel each other out.
0: So you're going down the path of pairing, which I wanted to get down anyway. So there's this sense of – so you say heat likes sweet. Right, the problem being that many of these um, restaurants that serve as hot food don't have a very special, special curated wine menu. Right, (laughs) so you go into a a, you know any Chinese restaurant that serves alcohol, and they have um, a red, a white, and a white Zin, maybe or something on the where, and they're not even like named. They're just here's our house wines. You know, drink drink at your own risk. (laughs) Um, So then. You know the obviously the best way to do this then would be to carry it out, bring it home, open your own bottle there um is there any sense that you have that these restaurants will kind of go down the path of better wine, or is that not in is that a business model that um you know if you're a carry out Chinese place do you need to have better wine
1: no <laughs> in a word no yeah. be, because because your market the people that are coming to your place that that they're not you know, the, the, it's it's not important. It's not important to them. Um, one one of the best. Uh, there's a place in Vegas that is a Thai restaurant that has one of the best. It's almost all Riesling wine lists on the planet, and it's it's all it's almost all Riesling, and it's really great food. It's just the the owner is an aficionado, so that's kind of makes it makes sense. And you know, when we use the word sweet um, too, it it kind of is a a word that is similar to spicy in terms of it means different things to different people again I'll compare you and I you like food that I put in my mouth and I'm basically in pain Okay, I, I'm not saying that I have a more sensitive palate <laughs> than you do, Joe, but but I mean it's just different. I mean we all have different we all have different taste buds, and and so uh, I mean for instance my wife, I mean when I cook for her, I call it cooking Amish, <laughs> because it's I mean she has any spice virtually at all, and she's like oh my. So there's a continuum, just like there is a continuum of of sweet in terms of what what people like sweet and the heat are, are both kind of on a scale, shall we say.
0: So uh, it
1: just, it really depends. <laughs>
0: and, and so the, the um, so we're drinking a bottle of, uh, this is called Gave. Yeah. Gavi. Yeah. Um, and this was given, not given, I purchased this at um, <laughs> House of Vin in yeah. Detroit um, through the recommendation of uh, another sommelier, Michael Culvert. Uh-huh. And um, so I, I want to go down the, this idea, this road of like uh, wine shops. In the kind of curated experience that um, that I think you're providing, a knowledge, kind of a base of knowledge uh-huh. for, right? So there are a number of wine shops. Even House of Pure Vin is close to the Royce, which is down the street from Whole Foods, which isn't necessarily a wine shop, but they have a curated wine program. Um, what 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 is a differentiating factor in each of these shops? Is it the sommelier themselves? Is it the pro? Like, what can they do?
1: well um one would one would hope that, that they would distinguish themselves by what what kind of what their focus what their focus is um and so um it it's the staff and it's what their focus is is that you know are they a little bit heavier on say Michigan wines do they have a little bit uh bigger selection say of uh, Bordeaux wines, which are from France? Um, it, it really depends on kind of what you are looking for. I do encourage people to to do their shopping. Nothing against Whole Foods or Kroger or anybody else or Myers for that matter, um, but if you can go to a wine shop, because the person there will get to know you and they'll get to know your tastes, so that they'll they'll figure out and you will figure out that hey, you know, you like Pinot Noirs more than you like Zinfandel. When I say zinfandel, I mean red zinfandel, real zin. Um, so th- they'll get to know that, and maybe they'll get something in, and they'll get a special sale from the distributor, and they'll say, "Hey, you need to try this." So you, you, there gets to be kind of like if you go to your favorite restaurant, they get to know your taste. You want the usual. That it's the same. It's the same type of thing, and uh, a great wine store can help you out a great deal and suggest uh, new things to you. And knows knows what your price point is, and, all, and you know all that good stuff. It's it's a relationship like a lot of other things.
0: Yeah, and one thing I'm really impressed with that I've uh, noticed at wine shops in our area in Metro Detroit is that um, I'll go in and, um, you know, I'll shop at say six different places, and there's always this feeling that um, something new is going to be placed in front of me. I am I'm the type of person that will uh buy things only because they're new. Um, you know, and, and different. I you know, I'm not I'm not looking to drink the same thing over and over again, right? I'm not looking for a comfort in a bottle of wine. I just want to try something that will kind of expand my horizons. Um, the average consumer then, uh w- what is the average consumer like? And is the average consumer going to a wine shop and saying, "Just throw something at me?"
1: No, I, I... <laughs> The the, the the topic about finding comfort in a bottle of wine was that's an interesting phrase. Um, we can find. Well,
0: yeah, <laughs> it can you be mean. unpacked in a number of ways, but yeah.
1: But um, but in terms of <laughs> in you know if I, I find a comfort in a bottle of Southern Comfort, um, but. Uh, you're again, um, knowing you as I do, Joy. You're you're the exception to the rule, um, because you you want to try something that's new and it's different just because it is new and it's different, and that's that's a, the way, way I am. Most consumers, I mean, there's folks. I got a good friend of mine. Jeez, uh, I've known him for a really long time. He gets the same Chardonnay all the time. I mean. I said, John, I mean, live a little, dude. I mean, you know, but, no, but I like it. It's good. So, And I, and I encourage people to, to try, just try something new, try something different. And again, you're the exception, and, and spread the gospel. I mean, I mean, spread the word about doing that. And people are absolutely um, amazed when they do try something different. I'm switching gears a little bit. I taught a class a few weeks ago on vodka, and people said, say, well, oh, vodka, you know, it's all the same stuff. There's no difference at all. Well, even before we sampled any of the vodkas in the class, three or four people were just nosing the vodka, in other words, smelling it, and they were going, oh, man, oh, there is a difference. Oh, well, this is different than that. Oh, my goodness. So there is. A lot of it, Joe, is just paying attention, being aware of what we're doing and focusing on what we're doing. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying, you know, well, you know, do you uh concentrate on every single sip of wine that you No, not at all. But when you first open a bottle, whatever, concentrate a little bit, focus a little bit. Let your senses talk to you. Pay attention to what your eyes tell you, what your nose tells you, and what your palate tells you.
0: So okay, so let let's uh this is pretty much what you speak towards when you talk about the five S's, yes? Of wine drinking. Yes. So, what are the five S's and kind of run through how they can kind of uh, focus a non wine drinker into drinking wine more carefully?
1: Wow, I feel like I'm kind of on the spot. This is like a (laughs) quiz here. The five S's. I've heard
0: that before somewhere. <laughs>
1: um, well, the, 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 five, the five S's uh, is basically is kind of a, a relatively simple and yet elegant way to, to taste wine. And that is the first thing you want to do is the first S is to see it. Uh, the second S is to, let me remember here, the second mm-hmm. S is to swirl it. The next one is to really to sniff the wine or smell the wine, then to sip it. And last is to savor it. So when you do that again, it's not with every time you take a simple wine. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that takes all the fun out of it. But when you first open a bottle or if you're trying something different to do that. So the first one is you, you look at the wine, you look at it horizontally. If you've got a white surface, you kind of tilt the glass. What color is the wine? Is it clear? Is it carbonated? Most wines are clear. White wines. Then you look down at it. You look at it vertically. Can you see your fingers at the at the base of the glass? Obviously, white wines, yes. Some red wines, you can't. Does that mean good or bad? Not necessarily. What it means, it means the body of the wine. How robust is it? How saturated is it? So, and it should be pleasant. It should look good. Now, some people say, oh, I got some funky stuff in my wine. What's that about? Well, sediment, which are little what they call flavor. Flavonoids, that's good to have in the wine, but you do not want to ingest sediment, if at all possible.
0: Really? Really. Because that's in beer, too. A lot um, of Belgian beers have that kind of sediment yeah, the, at the bottom. Yeah,
1: the, the beer sediment, you're right. Yeah. The, 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 the sour beers and, and that, yep. yeah. And is it is it going to kill you? No. But uh, if you have a bit of it in wine more so than a beer, Uh, It can have a rather unpleasant effect on your digestive tract. Okay. All right. And we'll we'll just kind of leave it at that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, and so so you've you've got that. And then swirling, uh, why why do we swirl? We swirl so that we get oxygen into the wine. It aerates it. It basically, in, in a real simple way, it artificially ages it, which is a good thing. We want that. We want to be able to smell. What's it smell like? Does it smell, if it's a red wine, does it smell like uh, uh, blueberries and blackberries and jam and briar like some Zinfandels do? If it's a white, does it smell like uh, crushed stone? Does it smell like peaches? Does it smell like pears? A lot of New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs smell like um, grapefruit. I mean, there's also, there's so many different smells because our sense of smell is so much more sensitive than our sense of taste.
0: Do you, Do you swirl sparkling wine? Oh, trick question.
1: The answer is if you're really examining it, the answer is yes. But the conventional wisdom is no, and you know the reason for this. This is what's called the setup, folks. Uh, The reason for this is that because you don't want to uh, release all the carbonation in sparkling wine. And that's another, uh, talk about sparkling wines is it's always been served in the flute. Well, now the trend among a lot of Psalms is that... Not to serve it, to serve it in a white in a white wine glass or even a regular glass, so that we can actually get more of the, the aromas. The flute is really for appearance, not for uh, enjoying and appreciating the aromas.
0: That's not to give you a heavier pour.
1: Well, that, that's always the home. that's always the, home. I, the the heavier pour. I mean, all the f- folks out there, um, who's out there, uh, unless you're really waiting for a flight or something, don't buy wine by the glass. Okay, just get the bottle. You can cork it and take it home. It's a much better value. It's a much better value because there's a a secret that's not really a secret is that a great many restaurants, and I work with uh, quite a few restaurants and and, and advise them to do this, counsel them to do this, is if you're spending $7 for the bottle, you want to charge $7 for the glass. Okay? I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. For the most part, buy the bottle, folks. It's worth your money.
0: Yeah, I, I've noticed that, and I've, I think I've actually told people that, and there's this sense that uh, the bottom, the buy-the-bottle price should be a couple dollars less than the buy-the-glass price because there's four, about four glasses per bottle, right?
1: Yeah, well, probably about three and a half for you. <laughs> um but uh um, yeah, two maybe <laughs> depending on <laughs> d- depending on the d- depending on the on the the heaviness of the hand and the size of the glass yeah. um yeah um usually there's 25.4 ounces in a bottle so you know if you do the math it's going to be you know you know four or five glasses four
0: yeah or five glasses. yeah so um so then uh in terms of restaurants and pairing, and these kind of like the counseling that you do for them, um, what kind of direction do you give places when they say, "Here's our wine list," um, and you look at it and you think, "Wow, this is this is not good." How do you how do you direct a, a wine list that is basically starting from zero?
1: Well, the, the first thing is is we determine just just like whether you're going to buy a car. Or you're going to buy a, a house or anything? Is what's the budget? Okay, what what kind of funds do we have to allocate to that particular uh, uh, to that particular beverage? Do the is it gonna is it is it strictly beer and wine? Are we gonna having cocktails as well? So we got to figure out how much money we've got to spend. Then we want to we want to sink it or or pair it to some extent with the establishment. I mean a a simple. Uh, a burger place, unless it's you know doing wagyu uh, burgers and is really really high end, you want to keep it relatively simple. Keeping in sync, making common sense of having the beverage program mirror or pair to what the food is. If if you are a you know if you're one of the the steakhouses. Uh, lined up and down uh, Big Beaver Road. I think, uh, are we going to get, do we need more? I don't know. I think there's six or maybe eight. A couple, more. Like no, yeah, a couple a more. more. Yeah, a couple more. They're going <laughs> <laughs> to, that, that's a that's a different wine list than uh, a mom and pop Italian place um, that's serving uh, homemade food and has got maybe, you know, um, 60, 70 seats. So you kind of tailoring the list to. The establishment, whatever, whatever it is. The most important thing is, is, in terms of restaurants, and I don't want to go too far off track, is, is the wine list doesn't sell the wine. It's the servers. It's all about the servers. If the servers have tasted the wine, and they know what it's like, and especially if they're even a tiny weeny bit enthusiastic about it, that's going to help a great deal.
0: So, yeah, and I think this is a good point, point. I think this is uh, the reason why you go to wine shops too, um, is that most of the proprietors of wine shops are very big proponents of tasting. Absolutely. And, and I am always surprised when I go into a restaurant and, um, ask to taste something. And the, the first response is no.
1: Well, if, uh, if that, if that's the first response, um, perhaps you might want to go somewhere
0: else. Well, and and, that, and that's my thought, right? Like you, you can't, you can't expect someone to, uh, purchase a bottle of wine on the fly. Uh, if there's not a really strong recommendation, or
1: a well, taste. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, in, in, in what I'll do frequently is to if they're pouring the if they're pouring wine by the glass. I mean, obviously, I, you can't really expect the restaurant to open the bottle for you to have a taste and make a determination if you're going to buy it, especially if it's a hundred bucks or something like that. I mean, that. But if the glass is, if the wine's being poured by the glass, absolutely. And they should. And there. And if they've been trained, if they've been counseled and trained by yours truly, they will say. Mr. Hakeem, would you like to have a small taste? I'm not looking for two ounces. I'm not, I'm looking for a quarter ounce, something to wet my whistle. That's all, just to see if I like it. So that makes a big difference. We got off track, though. God, that never happens with us, Joe. Um, so we we saw the wine. We swirled it. Now we're going to sniff it. Now when we sniff or smell, either way, whatever, whatever word you like, that's probably the most important thing that we're going to do, and that is is you want to get your nose in that glass. Don't just wave the glass underneath your nose like you're at a perfume counter. That's not the way we do it. And you want to just give it little short sniffs. And what comes up? People say, well, it smells like wine. Yeah, but it usually smells like some sort of fruit. And it may smell like maybe uh, baking spices, maybe cinnamon, maybe clove. If it's spent time in wood, it may smell like vanilla. If it's spent time in oak, there's all sorts of things that can come out of that. Because again, we are more sensitive with our sense of smell, much more sensitive than we are with our sense of taste. Then, when we take a little bit, a little sip, what we do is we take it and we basically do what I call the the swoosh, and then you almost chew it. So what you what we're gonna do is, and I'm gonna do this, folks. Um, just kind of visualize this, if you would. I was breathing air in through my mouth, and now I'm just almost kind of chewing it. Not quite gargling, but kind of chewing the wine to get it all over your palate. Now, when you do that, that's much different than... Doing a shot of espresso, or in Joe's case, tequila, Um, it it is it is it's different. It's it's much different than than knocking back, you know, uh, a cold beer on a hot day. This is where you're kind of paying attention. Then the last S, you're savoring it. What is the finish? Finish sounds so much nicer than aftertaste. That just doesn't sound very classy. Or if you're a football fan, it's hang time. What's the hang time of the wine in your mouth? As the price goes up, the hang time, the finish should go longer. Some wines can have a finish of a minute or more, and you're going, wow, I can still taste that. And it is, to use a highly technical term, yummy. And that's what we really want to do.
0: So the word yummy. Yes. You... (laughs) um, I've been to a few of your talks, and you uh, make the comment that there are two kinds of wine, right?
1: There, there are, there are two, there, are, <laughs> there are two kinds of wine, ladies and gentlemen. Now, and, and this was this was taught to me by a winemaker who was uh, leading a, a few of us on a cellar tour, and he was a very uh, strict and proper German. And he was, ladies and gentlemen, there are two kinds of wine. Only two kinds of wine in the world. What are they? And people are saying red and white or still and sparkling, sweet and dry. Nine, nine. no, there are only two kinds of wine in the world, and they are the yummy and the yucky. We drink the yummy and we don't drink the yucky. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that, as you can tell. <laughs> and that's true. If you like it, that's what's really most important.
0: And so this idea of liking and kind of, um, and, and I mean, being a teacher, you get to kind of espouse what you like, right? And so you teach classes. Yes. And um, I, I want to kind of go down the, the path of I've seen you speak in front of um, restaurant professionals at the uh, Restaurant Association show, I mm-hmm. believe, and um, uh, Know Why yeah. that occurs. And, yeah. um, but you also do monthly shows at, uh, or monthly classes, not shows. It's kind of a show. Well, well, yeah, kind yeah. yeah
1: it kind of, it's fun. The key, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the key word is is I like to drop the f bomb. I say, hey, you know what? Let's drop the f bomb. And people look at me like, why they? Why? Why I say? I'm talking fun. What were you gonna say?
0: <laughs> well, I, really, I mean, if you're if you're drinking alcohol, and not having fun, like what? An the issue. Hell, right? There, yeah,
1: there's 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 issues.
0: Uh, um. So, uh, kind of take me through, uh, some of the places you teach at, and um. And what you teach more than wine right
1: yes yes I,
0: I also teach
1: about spirits and that is base is because basically um of demand uh f- folks said well you know gee um that was that was interesting i had i had fun i laughed and i learned uh gee do you well you know anything about tequila yeah Wow, Scotch, yeah. My most pop, my most popular spirits class right now is bourbon. Oh man, bourbon, bourbon, bourbon. Everybody's drinking bourbon, and that's another one where we talked about rosés twenty years ago, bourbons twenty years ago. The only people that drank bourbon was a guy down in Kentucky on the porch in a mint julep, and he was an old white guy, and that's about it. But now, of course, with I mean, every hipster on the planet drinking bourbon. I mean, come on! How many cocktails can we have? (laughs) So, but there are different kinds of bourbon, and there's different styles, and there's different kinds. So it's it's about, and I really mean that when teaching the classes is is what I do is is edutainment. Yes, I stole that from Walt Disney. I'm proud to say that it's it's education, but it's entertainment. When I when I'm giving a class for consumers, it it is about the f. It's about having fun. Come on, as you say, you're drinking alcohol. Come on, have some fun. If you learn a little something along the way, all the better. But the the, the main goal is to have fun. Now, if I'm working with people in the hospitality industry, we just kind of flip the coin. Or I, I also teach at Baker College, and I take, teach at Oakland Community College. And there, it's like, okay, students, we can have some fun, but the goal is on learning and then maybe having a little bit of fun. So in spirits, um, spirits are... Are another topic that people are interested in, I've got a class, an upcoming class in a couple of weeks uh, in July 20th called The Joys of Gin. Where's the class? It is at the War Memorial in Gross Point, okay, on Lakeshore Road. Uh, that's where I'm teaching uh, these days. And it is, we're, we're going to have um, six or maybe, I don't know if people are, we may, might even have eight different gins. All right, now folks, these are not tumblers of gin. Okay, just just to let you know. All right, um, it is it is a class, and we will have we'll have a taste. And I got to tell you, Joe, most people they're you know they're great about it. I mean, they just they realize it's a class, and they're not
0: they're looking to do looking to do shots. So, I, well, maybe I mean, well, come maybe, on. you might but, be you and Nick, but, but, but. Um, <laughs> uh, this so. The, the kind of demand for spirits classes is, is this something that you had to do a bunch of research for? So, for example, this gin class, yeah. Um, you said there's six, maybe eight different gins. Yep. Um, how many gins did you taste before you picked the eight that you have that you've chosen?
1: Oh,
0: yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and then I'm looking for a number, I'm just saying, like,
1: yeah. Um, um, w- Way more than my wife ever thought existed. <laughs> I can tell you that. Because again, like scotch, like other spirits, um, I mean, to me, there is the greatest diversity in wine. I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth a little bit. There's a huge diversity in beer, um, as you well know. Um, there's, there's Actually, there's more diversity there than there is in spirits, but there's so much diversity even within a category of spirits that most people are really, really surprised unless they're aficionados of that particular spirit. But um to answer your question, I'd say uh, I'm looking at about 30. 30. Something so, like that. It's not easy. Well so it um, is
0: the goal of a class then you, you're so you put eight gins in front of someone. They yeah. taste one. They taste all eight and they they like number 4. Yeah. The goal then is for them to go and look for number 4. It, is your hope that someone in that Store wherever they purchase it is going to take them down the path of other gins that they may like as well. Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: Yes. I, I mean, again, again, the diversity is a great thing, but the, the the goal is 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 number one is to have have the person one enjoy and realize wow that there really are differences and to have fun discerning those differences in the gins. Okay, I mean you've got you. I mean you've got London Dry Gin. And I know you. I know you had the the expert on gin on a, just a few weeks ago. So,
0: Well oh, Camp Ringel was on yeah, one of our yeah, first episodes, bring, but okay, yeah, okay, a while yep, ago. Yeah.
1: So, um, but there there is a difference between Plymouth Gin, between barrel aged gin, between London Dry Gin, which is the most popular, between uh, to, Old Tom Gin. There there are differences, but to have as what happened in the class a couple of weeks ago is to have the the students, the attendee go. Um, to just say, wow, without even, again, it was so um, heartwarming to me that they, even without tasting the vodka, they were like, oh my, you know, there, there really is a difference. Hendrix is extremely different than Beef Eater. Um, and now that, and gin, of course, can be made anywhere, just like rum, just like vodka. They can be made, and they are being made just about anywhere. So there are some that are a little bit rough on the edges, but again, um, you know, it, it should not really tra- take the uh, chrome off a trailer hitch, folks. Uh should be a little bit smoother.
0: But there there is this uh, sense that, like, you know, college towns or whatever, you have your 5 o'clock uh, vodka, not, to, not yeah. to disparage 5 o'clock, but a gallon of 5 o'clock is what, $6? Um, uh, I don't, <laughs> don't really remember. <laughs> right. And that's the point, right? <laughs> um, so th- this, this idea of um, vodka tasting different, There is, uh, I have a friend in Columbus who um, – Operates uh, Middle West Spirits, okay. and he was very adamant that vodka and Valentine Vodka right down the street. Another oh, another great example. Oh, great um, pro- great products. Yeah, and, and um, it's much different than your av- you know your average vodka, and uh, even even your Grey Goose or your Stoli or you know um, whatever high end label yeah. that you're uh, you're drinking from.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and again, and that's when, when people come to a class. What what happens is is number one is is they've got a selection of diverse wines or diverse vodkas uh, or or whatever the spirit is. And I've had, for instance, uh, with scotches, we have them from different areas of. Of Scotland, the same thing with Irish. I mean, they're playing, doing all sorts of things with Irish whiskey these days. Uh, if you come to uh, my class, which is going to be July the 13th, which is the big three of white wine grapes. Okay, Joe, what are the big three of white wine grapes?
0: Riesling. Riesling is the Chardonnay. one. Chardonnay. Yep. I two, don't know the third Two word. words. Two words. Sauvignon Blanc. We. Oui. Got it. Excellent. Very
1: good. All right. All right. <laughs> he gets admission to the class. All right. Very nice. Yeah. And, and th- those are those are the three the, the big three of white wine. So what what we'll do is is we will taste two different uh, bottles from one from the old world and one from the new world of that particular grape.
0: Each attendee gets a bottle. <laughs> Uh, that, that is that is illegal.
1: Uh, the MLCC would not like that very much at all. No, they don't. But we can direct them to where they would find uh, uh, bottles. But the, the, but the fun thing is, is again with uh, let's say with Chardonnay, one from the old world, one from the new world. What's the old world? The old world is is Europe. The new world is basically the rest of the planet. Uh, there won't be any Chardonnays from China, although those are out there. Believe it or not, folks. Um, so, oh yeah, China. Joe's looking very puzzled. China is—is is, I mean, they are—they're planting vines and making wine as fast as they possibly can. It's the largest growing market on the planet. Um,
0: well, even so, from the growing perspective, well, they're, I they're, they're from the buying perspective. They were buying everything up, but they're the, they're the growing.
1: Just, and now it's not just for status anymore. The, the 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 rising middle class that they actually want to taste want well, to actually drink wine I'll, I'm going there actually in uh, in September to uh, do some research so I might have some more information in uh, China next time I great yeah so and again is so the your you taste something there's a big difference between a Chardonnay that has spent zero time in oak and one that's gone to go on malolactic fermentation and has spent a lot of time in oak there's there's a big big difference there's a, there's a huge difference between a fruit juicy just like juicy fruit almost Riesling that's soft and round and kind of plump or a lean elegant mineral sleek racy sexy Riesling there's a big difference between those wines same grape but there's a huge huge difference and that's what when people come they go wow this is great and I got slides up there and again it's having fun I tell a few stories we have some laughs. We taste some wine, and folks walk away hopefully with a little bit of knowledge.
0: So, can you tell me about this? So, we just uh, opened I, a. I uh, knew this was coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we're talking about white wine, and we're talking about you know your big three. So, we have this Chateau Fontaine Woodland White. I've never had. It's pretty fantastic. Pretty fantastic. Is that good. all? Just pretty? Oh, dude, uh, it's fantastic. Okay, good. it's good. It's good. Okay. Well, um. What what is uh it says dry white table wine. I don't see the uh grapes in on there. there. You? No, I no. don't. So what's in there? Well,
1: you see that's why I brought it because I would hope that you hadn't had. <laughs> this is made uh this is made up in the Leelanau Peninsula by my friends uh, Dan and Lori. And um this is called Woodland White because it sells better when it's got the Woodland White name that if the grape which is Osewa repeat that after me. Osewa. Osewa. A U X E R R O I
0: S, which is from Alsace. The spelling bee. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> it's Turned into a spelling bee. It's the first time that's happened. All right, and hopefully not the last. <laughs> but yeah. And
1: so, um, they they make this. Uh, they make this wine. This is 2016, and 2016 was a fabulous year for Michigan wines. Thank goodness we because we had the two polar vortex years, the two previous years that were absolutely horrible, and um, this is wine is, it's a little bit exotic. This is, to me, this is a great wine for people that like Chardonnay but maybe want something a little bit different. Um, it's unusual because both the folks at Chateau Fontaine and over at Bell Lago, which is not very far, uh, just down the Leland Peninsula.
0: We talked to Charlie at the Michigan Wine Showcase. Up oh, here. Charlie's Charlie he Ross. He's a pretty brilliant guy. Oh, yep. Char- yeah,
1: Charlie, is known the, uh, to his friends as the professor. Um, great fun. A lot of fun, brilliance. Yeah. And he makes an Osawa as well. So you've got two winemakers making this kind of strange grape in Michigan. There's another one out in Oregon. And I'm going to be writing an article for the American Wine Society on Osawa. And I've got to find out if there's anybody else that's actually grown and making this wine. So that's part of my research. But it's this, this is a little, a little bit softer than Charlie's. Charlie's is a little bit more laser like, a little bit more focused. But what's it? What, how would you describe it, Joe?
0: Um, I, I think it's just pleasant. Like, there's one of these um, uh, at the Michigan Wine Showcase. Uh, to bring that up again, there's um, a woman who was talking about uh, uh, white wine being a, uh, a porch pounder, which sounds kind of risque. But um, I would think this is really something that you could sit on the porch and enjoy and um, drink for an afternoon. You know, a couple bottles. Yes, and, 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 and no, I, no, no regrets.
1: No, none, none whatsoever, and and lots of uh, lots of enjoyment. And uh, I actually, I, I one of the things I do is I write descriptions of wines for some for some wineries. And one time I uh, did this for a winery, and I used that term "porch pounder." And I thought that the owner of the winery was going to come out of the phone into my ear. He was not a happy camper. And I said, I said, this is I didn't. That means you disparage your, in any way, your wine. Don't you want people to knock back a couple of bottles, three bottles, you know, on the porch or wherever? He's like, yeah, but I don't like that term. I said, okay, you'll never see it again. So, but yeah, this is, it's, it's inviting. It's easy to, and it's also, it's got complexity. It's, there's a lot going on in the nose. It's not one-dimensional. And that's one thing, folks, that you want in good wines and good spirits Is just like good food, and just like human beings, there are layers. There's a lot of comparisons between uh, us folks and wines. When we're young, um, yes, we grow a lot faster and grow kind of wild. As we age, we don't maybe produce quite as many uh, grapes, but they're more intense. Um, So there, and I could I could go on (laughs) about the differences, the similarities with wine and and people and. Just like, um, just like people, some wines are much better when they're young and others, the best wines, they get better with age. And that's something that 90% of the world's wines are made to be drunk when they're bottled. This is a question I get a lot, Joe. When's this going to be ready? What's this wine like? I, again, that, that figure, 90%, it's that other 10%. They don't taste very good when they're bottled. But if you lay them down in your basement... Or in your custom-made cellar like you have, Joel. Of course. Um, of course. Uh, and you and you forget about them, as they say in Joy-Z, forget about them for a couple of years. Then the magic happens in the bottle, and they get better, and they're absolutely wonderful. A quick story about uh, Port. Vintage Port is a wonderful, wonderful wine that is underappreciated and, under and not very well known in the United States. Port, Vintage Port is a tiny percentage of port that's produced. Port is a sweet wine. It is a big, robust, heavy dessert wine. You drink this usually in the winter time. and if you can have some blue cheese, if you like blue cheese, big, salty, and toast some walnuts and a glass of Vintage Port that's ready to drink, it is absolutely a mouthgasm. I I it's just incredible. It is it is happy mouth. Now, vintage ports. A few years ago, when I was engaged to my now bride, she came home before I did, saw an invoice receipt on the kitchen table for some vintage ports. And when I walked in the door, she was waving this in my face, and she was not the happiest camper that I have ever seen. Basically, what is this and you paid how much? What? Um, And I said, dear, I said, you're right. And I said, I'll tell you what. I'll open a bottle for you if you'd like. I'm happy to do it. It will be a complete waste of money. You will not like it. It will tear your face off. It will not be pleasant. And we'll be using it as a marinade for pork. But I'll do it for you, dear. She said, no. Now, that was 1977 vintage ports, which was an incredible year. And vintage ports are declared maybe a couple times every decade. Now the question is dear do we have any more of those 77s downstairs <laughs> amazing how things change
0: so okay so l- let's let's bring this all kind of together right mm-hmm. so the world of wine is vast and overwhelming to most people um how do you how do you explain to people that it's the, the, the person that's spending five or six bucks, ten bucks a bottle,, yeah. that it's okay to spend 70, 80, 100 bucks a bottle um, for something special. So you, you don't want to obviously not all of us can afford to drink a $100 bottle of wine every every evening. Uh, no kidding, right. So for those for, for the average consumer, what what is how do you how do you get them to splurge a little
1: bit um, if it's a special occasion or if they if they just want to learn more and the 100 bucks that's pretty big in my classes i, I try to stick around I, I definitely stay around 50 bucks i try to stay around about 15 to 25 so that they're wines that people can't afford um, on a on a daily basis or at least weekly basis um, and they can they can find out at winecounselor.net um, which is my website? It's w i n e c o u n s e l o r dot net. I finally mentioned this. I should, my, I should have mentioned this a long time ago, Joe. You should have prompted me. I asked you at the end uh, of the yeah, show, but yeah. you're leading
0: into it. This is great. You're closing the show for me. This is good. This is good.
1: But I mean, um, you know, you can you, you can you can send me questions. There's no charge or anything like that. But basically, to try different wines, I mean, yeah, this is a shameless shameless plug. Come to my classes. Um, you'll learn, you'll have fun. Um, read go go buy something that's different than what you're used to drinking. If you're if you are gonna order a glass of wine in a restaurant, order a glass of something you haven't if you're a Chardonnay drinker, order a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. You may think it sucks. Okay, so you know this does and you try something else. Um, it's just so much fun. A great way to have fun is to either with or without me, of course it's more fun with me. But is to have a bunch of people over your house. I have a few couples. Everyone brings a bottle, or goodness forbid, if you're hanging out with Joe and Nick, two. Uh, and what you do is is you put them in brown paper bags, and only one person knows. And there's a certain category. Let's say we're going to do Malbecs tonight, and everyone brings a Malbec, and the price range is fifteen to twenty-five, and that's it and only that one person knows. And and again if you go to my to my website or send me an email uh at, well, at net, I've got a handy dandy little scorecard that's all of 25 points. It's not complicated. It's fun. It's easy. I love this wine. Not so much this wine. Ugh, terrible. No, thank you. But to do that and have that tasting at your house with your friends. I guarantee you, by the end of the evening, you will have people, what? You like th- You like wine number three better than wine number seven? No way. Oh, you're crazy. It's a lot of fun. Try. Experiment. I mean, that's the most fun.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a great great way to close the show. Michael, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. One more time, where can people find you?
1: Uh, they can find me at WineCounselor.net, W I N E C O U N S-E-L-O-R.net. It is being updated, uh, hopefully, as we speak. You can also reach me. You can call me at 248-219-7301. I look forward to hearing from you, and I can't wait to come back, um, and we can talk about China or whatever.
0: Anything. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Safe travels. Thank you. Mike? Thanks for being with us. Until next time, dine well, friends.